Hello and welcome to episode 21 of 50 Women Over 50, a podcast for women whose personal confidence is born of experience. I am your host, Sherry Lynn Starkey. My goal for this podcasting project is to interview 50 women from all walks of life who are over 50 years of age about what they've learned by this decade so that we can all learn from them. Today, I'm welcoming to the show author Sharon Jones, who remembers her own 50th birthday as being a landmark birthday because what happened on that day changed the trajectory of her life. I discovered in this interview that Sharon Jones and I have a lot in common. She's divided her adult life between Canada and Great Britain. She's had a successful agency career, and along the way, she's learned many of the same hard lessons as I have. She's put many of these into her book, which is called Tread Gently for the Emotionally Clumsy. Tell me a little bit about your 50th birthday. My 50th birthday, well, actually it was 11 years ago this year, which is a bit bit of a shock. It was probably one of the best birthdays I've ever had. I remember turning 30 and panicking about it. I turned 40 and panicked about that. And I turned 50 and I was like, this is awesome. It was a real pivotal point for me in my life. I actually went back to the UK. I used to work at a holiday camp. Think of Dirty Dancing, the movie, but in England with rain, the holiday camp. And it was turning 50 the same weekend I was. So I thought, why not? Which one, which one is that? It's called Butlins. Butlins, yes. So, you know, I'm married to a Brit, right? Oh, we didn't know that. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. He grew up at Butlins. I've heard lots of Butlins stories. <laughs> oh, which one? Which one? Which? He's been to a couple of them. I know there's one in Scotland and there's yeah. some Wales. And uh, I think there's one that's down in like Kent area or something. I think he went there one time too. And and the camp was turning 50 the same weekend I was. And I thought, what a great way to to celebrate because... With Facebook in about 2010, 2011, I started to connect with all the people I'd worked with back in the 1980s. So somebody said, hey, let's do this reunion the weekend of May the 20th. That's amazing. That's my birthday. I'm turning 50. I looked pretty good. I have to say, I look back at pictures of me when I turned 50, 40, 30. I think I look really good at 50. I was confident in my own skin as well. So I flew over to the UK. And I remember thinking on the plane on the way over, you know what, I'm going to be me, 100% me. So I I got there and reconnected with people and Pete, my now husband, we had met in 1984 and I always liked him, but nothing happened at the time. We were friends on Facebook. And in 2012, we arrived at Butlins for the weekend. And I say, I call it, we collided because that's really what happened. We We were both married to two different people at the time, but clearly those relationships were had done their their rounds, if you like, because Uh if they hadn't, then you you don't tend to look for other people or notice Mm -hmm. other people in the same way. But we we met and we fell for each other, and nothing happened at the at the weekend. But we were just transfixed with each other, and we've probably been in daily contact ever since then. I flew back to Canada. And flew back again to spend time with him. So we had six months transatlantic relationship. Yes. So to come back to your question, my 50th birthday, I say that Pete, my husband, he's the best birthday gift I've ever received. But I think it's honestly, 
it wasn't until I was that age before I knew to get a good partner, you have to be a good partner. Yeah. So I think I learned, I learned that, that it's not that I'm always right or what I think is always correct. Because I used to think I could persuade people to any point of view, which of course is ridiculous. But I'd been a trainer, I'd started training people and had to do a lot of research into topics like conflict management and managing emotions. I'd started to unpack the fact that, okay, people do think differently and I don't know the answer. I realized that the way that I had been in previous relationships probably wasn't fair to them or me. So I met him or we reconnected at the exact right time for both of us. So yeah, my 50th was landmark birthday is probably the best way of putting it. Well done, you. (laughs) For you. So that was the start of a transatlantic romance, I guess is the only word for it. And and how long after that did you get married? Well, we had transatlantic for six months. He would come over here and I would go over there in the, if we think about it, when Pete and I, that's his name, when we think about how long we'd actually spent together, if you added up all the days, we probably spent two weeks together. And all of a sudden we made a decision that, okay, I'm going to give up my life in Canada and come back to the UK and be with you, which was quite a drastic thing to do. But I was ready for that move. So we went back to the UK, but the proviso was I'll come back to the UK with you as long as you'll come back to the to Canada with me when the time is right. So we were in the UK for two years. Oh, yeah, just over two years. And we came back to Canada in 2015. Mm-hmm. And we actually got married in Florida in February 2020, just right before the pandemic right. started. <laughs> so, well, you and I have something in common there, right? So I, I married a Brit. I was here in Canada. And we had a five-year transatlantic relationship ah, wow five years that's a that's a long time well we were uh, let's just say on hiatus we were together for two years here in Canada when he was here working and then he left because his project was done so we you know that that was it it was sayonara but you know I think we were kind of always on each other's minds like you say with your partner and then five years later he just phoned me up out of the blue and said you know just thought I would check in and see how you are. Anyways, one thing led to another and uh, he came to Canada for a one week vacation and we were engaged by the time he left. So we had a lot in common. I, well, d- honestly, Pete is my husband number four. So, Oh, good for you. <laughs> I tell people in my training because my, my whole thing is I have these two phases in my life. I have a before awareness and after awareness and right. the awareness piece really kind of kicked in because I'd been in the advertising business. I was a, a vice president client services. So I was pretty high up there. Yeah. I got to that position because I got things done. I wasn't uh, particularly good with people. Now I look back at it. And then when I quit that job, as I was, got to the point where I thought, I'm, I'm barking up the wrong tree here for a career. So I quit that job and my passion is horses. So yeah. I jumped into consulting and also working on a horse farm so I ended up knee-deep in proper horseshit versus corporate horseshit and it was when I was working at the ranch that I realized hey I actually like teaching people stuff and adults because I was teaching people how to ride and I've been told throughout my career you'd be a good teacher 
And for yes. me, a teacher is someone who sits in front of a class full of children and they're small people and they scare me. So I'm like, no, I don't want to do children. But mm. when I was teaching adults how to ride, I, I, ah, the light bulb went off and I really enjoyed it. And then I applied to work for a national conference business, kind of like Fred Pryor and as a, as a trainer. But I really wanted to get into the soft skills stuff, the conflict management, the managing emotions. Yeah. So I was training all of that stuff when I went back to the UK with Pete. And then I got a job at a business called Thomas International and they do psychometric assessments. And I got myself measured for the interview on my behavioral perspective, my emotionality, and also how quickly my brain works. And I saw my results. And when I saw them, it's like, oh, that makes a ton of sense of the decisions that I've made in my life. I've got very little impulse control. So, you know, will you marry me? Yes. I, can't, I like cake as well. But these, the, the previous three were in my before awareness times yeah. when I wasn't really the best partner. And then when Pete and I got together and I was working at Thomas understanding myself on a deeper level I also got him to do the assessments as well so now it's what's good about it is my brain works a lot faster than his in certain areas and and I tend to bounce around like this I drive him nuts but I don't take it personally and when he says can you just slow down so like, ah, okay it's not a personal attack it's about yeah. I need to slow down in and be methodical when we're talking through work type things, he's very methodical and I'm completely not. So it's really helped us understand each other. And we're both very high dominant. So we're both very assertive people. And it just, it just works. It works for us. And it's, again, always learning, hopefully. I work in marketing and PR. I, I, you know, I've been through these kinds of personality assessments. So my introduction to them, I was in my very late 30s. But I agree with you. I was like, ping, oh, now I get it. And so like, I feel like they should teach this to children in school. Because why wait till you're in your late 30s or almost 50 before you? Absolutely. It's, it's like handing you the toolkit, right, of how, how you work and how you interact with other people. And Absolutely. wouldn't life have been a lot easier before that if you'd had these tools? I agree with you. I think that all kids should get some awareness of you know, your preference doesn't mean that you're right. There are mm -hmm. other people who can do things that you don't want to do. And together that can make for a really strong, strong team. So, yeah. 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 And it's, it's partially why I wrote, I wrote the book, which is, it's called Tread Gently for the Emotionally Clumsy, because that's how I, how I am from a natural perspective. And it's right. ten, 10 steps to navigate emotionally charged situations, because I, I tend to be like a bull in a china shop. So this book is born of your own life's lessons. So that really is how the book came about because my business is called Be A Better You, always about how to be the best version of yourself professionally and personally. So yeah, that's how it came about. Came about. So you do training and coaching and, and uh, curriculum development, that kind of stuff. Is that your business? Yes, it is. I develop mainly workshops. I do them now online or in person and I do keynote speeches as well. Mm. I, I, I love that stuff. I really do. I also have an equine based business. I have an equine business partner and we put on horse shows, which Sounds is like fun. It, it, it's a lot of work. We're in the middle of trying to get sponsors right now, which is, which is challenging, but it's exciting. We have two shows, one in June, one in August. 
Uh, I'm the kind of person who I'll never be able to retire because my brain needs to be kept busy. So having yeah. lots of things on the go and I'm writing the second book as well. Yes. I like fast paced environments basically yeah. because of my behavioral preferences. Going back to your point about if only kids, if we could help kids understand what their preferences are, then you know, how many kids go to university to do a degree in one thing and then end up doing something completely different? Yeah. So right. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Not only that, just that the whole like navigating like teenage life sucked, right? I don't know about you, but I didn't enjoy it. And I feel like if I had these tools at that time, things would have been different. <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't, I don't think I was a very successful teenager. Whatever I definitely was I'm much, I'm a much better adult. You know, people say, would you go, what would you do? Take a million dollars now or go back to when you were a teenager? I say, well, I'd go back if I could take what's between my ears with me. But the challenge would be you would find everybody else around you very immature. So, Well, this is one of the, a question I had for you. What advice, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give your 30-year-old self? Don't sweat the small stuff. I know that's one of those things that we hear a lot. Yeah. And it's hard to take advice when you're not ready to accept it. Mm -hmm. I think try and be the best authentic version of yourself that you can be. It's okay to be vulnerable and admit your fallibilities. And if there are people around you who don't let you do that, change the people around you. Find yeah. your tribe. Find the people with whom, and this has been, I think, a long time learning for me. Find the people who celebrate your success. Find the people who are happy for you. Find the ones who, yes, they'll support you, but they'll tell you if you're being an idiot. So yeah. find your tribe, basically. And do you think you found your tribe? It's a very small tribe. I, I know a lot of people, but I have a very small circle, uh, which surprised me, I think, if I look back to when I was younger. I like to have lots and lots of connections and friends, but as I've got older, it's different for me. So I'm very happy with the core that, that I have. I don't feel that there's anything missing from that, but I don't have an extended family or a lot of people say family is the most important thing. Well, it might be for you, but you can't make that statement that doesn't necessarily mean it's true for everybody. Yes. Right? And so is your tribe, tell me about your tribe. Is it, is it women? Is it men? Is it mixed? What it, age it, groups? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a combination, probably more, more, more women than, than men. People who I can be honest with, people that, because of course, you don't all have the exact same interests. So there are people, horse people who are like my equine business partner. We are very, very different people. But what makes our partnership work in a business is that we have the exact same work ethic. We have the same values and the same perspective. I think that is very important. I've tried setting up businesses before with other people. And unless you're on the same page, mm -hmm. there's this inequity and it can be very challenging. So she's somebody definitely in my tribe. I've got a couple of other people who horsey related are in my tribe. I can talk to them obviously more than just about horses. And of course, my husband, Peter, he's, the, he's my biggest tribe member. And I've got a couple of people in the UK as well from a long time ago, because I actually left the UK in 1997. I was lucky enough that two of my older friends came over to our wedding in, in 2020. Oh, so nice. small, small tribe, 
Um, but that's the way that's the way I like it, I think, because I have I don't have tons of free time because I'm too busy filling not busy, busy is a negative connotation, I think. I like to be doing stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So how do you feel about getting older then? Beats the alternative, <laughs> <laughs> which is not getting older. My goal, of course, is to be as healthy mentally, physically as, as much as I can. I'm actually going to hopefully start next week, try out, try out. They're going to, I'm going to get assessed, if you like, for, to do, to, to do CrossFit. That's it. There we go. It's in, in, oh, yes. in, in Dunville. I used to be a gym rat. I used to go all the time. I ride horses. I train horses. So I've got a very strong core. When I had my heart checked out last year, that's all good. I think prevention is always better. I smoked for a number of years. I quit that. I still drink. I'm not an alcoholic. Obviously, I'm not drinking all the time. This is water, not vodka, promise. You are Uh, English, so. (laughs) Well, exactly. And that's the problem, right? As your husband can probably attest as well, is that you grew up in the UK and there's nothing to do except learn how to drink. So (laughs) So that's it. But growing older, it, it's a, it, it really is a privilege because so many people don't get to do that. I've got friends whose children have died. And that's just absolutely devastating. So I think it's, it's, you've got to try and keep your mind open, be curious, keep, keep learning. All the stuff that you go, oh, yeah, whatever. But as you start to get older, you start to think, you know what? I think there's actually some validity in there. So give me an example of something that as a younger person, you would have, wouldn't have paid attention, but now you understand it's important uh, in context. Think about yourself, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think because when I, I what ended up being a VP client services at an advertising agency, I didn't really have that as my goal. I just kept getting promoted. Okay. Mm-hmm. Get more money. Okay. But I wasn't learning anything about myself. At mm-hmm. all, I'd stopped that. And I think I had allowed the pressures of that to get to me. Ultimately, I'm not a good corporate citizen. I'm better off as an independent contractor. I'm not a good employee. I don't like being told what to do. Amazingly, I've never been fired, and, and uh, which surprises me because my next book is actually called going to be called The Direct Perspective. And in there, I tell the story of how this is this was not the event in and of itself that ended my advertising career, but it was the the tipping point. I had wa- marched into my boss's office one day because we had just merged with another smaller office downtown. He was now my boss. I didn't have the office that I used to have. I didn't have the say that I used to have. I walked into his office, and this is true, and I swore. I said, "You're the worst expletive ing." <laughs> boss I've ever had oh yeah that's true to his credit he said sit down tell me all about it and I did but I just went blah and it was just verbal diarrhea if you like so the purpose of the book that I'm putting together again based on experiences is to understand how to have a tough conversation and how to prepare for it so very long-winded answer to your question but I think being closed off and not learning. And that can happen to people once they start to get more senior. They stop being open to learning about themselves. And that's the biggest challenge that I see. And the, the other thing, I think, if I'd have gone back to 30, 
I would have said, start paying attention to how you are showing up to people around you. What kind of a wake are you casting in your shadow? You know, if you throw a rock in the pond, there's ripples. How far are those ripples going and how many people are getting caught up in them? I've been described a couple of times as a tornado, which and I, I, recently as well. You know that I, you're speaking to the hurricane here, right? <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're the perfect storm then, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. When I, I worked in agencies all over the UK and they were, appar- I didn't know at the time because self-awareness, but apparently I, my stand-up meetings were legendary. People used to say, oh, she's having a stand-up meeting, which means I was, you know, basically yelling at people. <laughs> too funny. But see, personally, I, I love people like that because okay. I, I can relate to it. And I also like people who I can be very direct with. Like mm. when people see Peter and I, having an argument it, it's very short it's very intense and people they think we're going to get divorced but it's over in seconds know that most people are not like you and me most people are not direct and, and aren't comfortable being that way so I think your book's going to be a bestseller oh I hope so well this one this one was on on Amazon it kept okay. in its particular category because I'm self-published yeah. And it, it, a couple of times was in the bestseller in the business ethics, I think was the category it was bestseller in. So, yeah. And I, is it still available on Amazon? Yeah. Yeah. I, I once did a training course, a P neuro-linguistic programming, yeah. which has been a bit, you know, there's some of it that's a bit airy-fairy, but some of it I like and some of it I still use. And one of the things that in this training was, who are you at the core, at the center of who you are? And there was lots of people in the room who were saying like, well, I'm a friend, I'm an advocate, and I'm, I'm a shit disturber. <laughs> I, I couldn't get away from that's who I am. I don't like the status quo for the sake of it. So I poke the bear, mm. as it were. Uh, I feel so privileged when people reach out to me and say, your book helped me. I feel incredible. That's why I do it. And I've had quite a few people do that. And that's why I do what I do. If, if anything that I can ever talk to somebody about can open that crack of learning and awareness for them, that, that fulfills me. I'll definitely have a link to it in the show notes. Thank you. What are you most hopeful about for the future? That's a broad question. Yes, it is. Whole <laughs> life in general. I'm not really one for looking into the future. I never have been I've, it always, I always used to wonder what people who would have these plans, I'm going to get married at 35, have children, at, and then, of course, it never works out for them. The best thing I can hope for is that I live a happy life. Yeah. That's really it. I hope that I'm still with Peter in that. I hope that we stay on the same path together. I don't see why we won't, but you never know. No mm-hmm. guarantees in life, you know. Relationships like a garden, you have yeah. to tend it, otherwise it's going to wither up and die. So that's why I'm going to tend that. I love horses. I may one day wake up and not love them anymore. So my hopes for future are whatever it is I'm doing, that I'm happy doing it and, not, and helping not hurting other people. That's probably as simple as I could get. That's good. That is quite succinct. Are you like working in the community or volunteering or supporting any good causes? For the horse shows that we're doing, we're going to do- donate some of the monies to rescue horses because mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a big issue in that in general. A lot of horses end up going to slaughterhouses, et cetera. 
that's more my my leaning i've done i do i've done coaching for for no cost for people to help them on a sporadic basis but i don't you know put myself out there to do that but i am open to it if it if it comes along i still have to pay the bills of course like we all do so yeah. it's about it's about balance but i at, at this point in my life i don't have enough time to volunteer something like that on a consistent basis but mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that won't happen in the future Mm-hmm. Okay. And is there an app that you could live without? The weather network. <laughs> That's so stupid, but it's true because yeah. when I go when I go to ride, because I've got a young horse now, he's he's four. I have to look at okay, two days ago the wind was crazy. So if you know anything about horses, they are prey creatures. And they rely on their sense of hearing to know if there's anything dangerous around. Well, when it's windy like that, they can't hear. But yeah, I'm a big weather fan. Again, I'm British. That's what we do. We talk about the weather. Yes, (laughs) yes, indeed. (laughs) But, you know, Canadians, we also talk about the weather a lot. I think there's there's something like 40 different ways to describe snow or something (laughs) I, I know it's, it's and and I'm 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 dual citizen. I consider myself a Britadian because I'm mm-hmm. half British and half Canadian, and very proud of my British roots, but also very proud to be living in in Canada right now. Yeah, me too. Same. Only my passport's from the Isle of Man. Really? Yes. Oh, that that's cool. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's really nice. And is there an over fifty life hack that you'd like to share? Embrace your grey. Wow, I, the, the, interesting. This is, this is actually my natural colour. People, I've had more, and I guess I'm pretty lucky, actually. I've had more compliments on my hair colour since I've let it go grey than I ever had before. It's, it's dark, it was dark brown. Then, of course, when the pandemic came along, I stopped dyeing it. So it was this weird combination. So I just used blue or purple shampoos and conditioners. I think because my hair still got tones, different tones in it, it looks like it's a dye job, but it's the most simple <laughs> to look after. But I think just embrace who you are. I mean, I'm not, you You do you. You know, if you want to go and, and get breast augmentation or whatever it is to make yourself happy, just make sure you're doing it for you. But also know that wherever you go, you take yourself with you. So even if you think, I don't like this situation, I'm going to move, you've got to think about what is in the situation that I don't like. Because if I move somewhere else, I'm still taking me with me. So it's mm-hmm. what's going on between between your ears. So I think it's it's really about knowing, know, knowing yourself, embracing yourself, and just being the best version that you can be. And when you need to nope out of somewhere, and I think you find that as people get older, they faster recognize situations and scenarios that aren't working for them. We feel typically less inclined to argue with idiots. Because <laughs> I, used, I used to argue with everybody because I could. Well, now it's like, you know what? I'm exhausted. I'm not, I'm not going to go there. Wow. I used to have on my CV, doesn't suffer fools gladly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, so I'd that... like to dig down a little bit more on this hair thing. So it's a it's a recent thing going natural. How has it changed your life in if it has changed it in any way, having your your natural gray hair? It's cheaper. 
It's important. That's important. And yeah, I don't have to look at the regrowth, you know, because it's... But I mean, in terms of people's reaction to you or like, how, are you getting a lot of seniors discounts offered to you now? <laughs> well, I, I think I'm told I don't look my age. I don't. And the thing is, I think the, the, the benefit of turning, being older now and being able to go grey is that there's lots of people in their 30s getting their hair coloured this way. Oh, they call it ombre. When we were out recently and this, this one girl, she must have been a 30s, beautiful hair colour. And she said, oh, it take, I have to bleach it and mess about with it to get it so it's natural. So <laughs> that, right, that's one of the benefits. But I really don't care too much how other people perceive me because what they think of me is none of my business anyway. I can't change their view. People say, oh, you know, why do you wear makeup every day? Because I want to. Yeah. You know, if I'm out riding my horse and it's, I used to work at, at, at a ranch as a trail guide, I had have my sunglasses on de- all day. Nobody saw my face, my eyes. I put makeup on for me, not for anybody else. Yeah. So I think that, that's the other part is getting more comfortable in your skin. And, you know, people do stop me and say, wow, your hair's amazing. Love the color. Thank you. Mm-hmm. But I don't really get swayed too much about what people say to me. It's interesting, though, then, like, this is interview 20. We haven't talked about the gray hair thing at all yet. You're the first person that's kind of raised it. But, you know, here in Canada, we had this big story just last summer where the broadcaster, Lisa Laflamme, got fired. And, you know, many people said it was because she'd let her hair go during the pandemic. I actually question that. I feel like it was probably... A lot of things, a lot of things. And probably her hair color was the least of it, but it was still in the mix. It was still part of it. And so I do think that it's an important issue for women our age to talk about this kind of stuff because it's political. You know, age is political. And in a feminist context, how your hair is a big part of, of how the world sees you. So I admire that. And I think your hair looks great, but thank you. I think that you're, I can't go there yet. It's not happening for me yet. Maybe someday, but nope, I'm going to keep to my natural red. <laughs> well, I think for me, who I am and my spirit is separate to the color of my hair. If people want to judge me and think I'm old because I've got gray hair, well, that's fine. You watch me riding a horse and tell me I'm old. <laughs> you watch me training a group full of people and tell me I'm old. I don't care what you think. All in all, I mean, do I wish it wasn't grey? Yeah, really? But it does it alter my life? No, it doesn't. This has been 50 Women Over 50, a podcast for women whose personal confidence is born of experience. I want to thank my guest, author Sharon Jones, for joining me today. She and I have a lot in common. And one thing I loved about talking to Sharon is the distinction that she makes about her life before and after she developed self-awareness. This understanding of how she was showing up to the people around her gave her the power to take the reins in her life and to go in the direction she needed to, to find happiness. I invite you to see the show notes to find out more about Sharon, her books and her businesses. I've included links there so you can connect with her online. Join me again for next week's show when I will welcome Anne Douglas, who literally has written the book on middle-aged women. It's called Navigating the Messy Middle. That's next week. 
But in the meantime, please drop me a rating or a review on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect and create a whole community of wise women over 50 by sharing a link to this show with your friends and connections. See you next time on 50 Women Over 50. I'm your host, Sherry Lynn Starkey.